coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 23rd of January, 2022, of Love and Betrayal. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of John, chapter 13, back into the upper room with Jesus and his disciples. And the portion of, of God's word that we're looking at today is not a very upbeat one. It is talking about Judas as a betrayer. Tom read this portion for us in John chapter 13, verses 21 through 30. And I'd just like to... Uh, First of all, begin with sort of a definition. What does it mean to betray? It means to be guilty of a breach of trust. It is, means to violate by unfaithfulness. And we see that example in the life of Judas. Here was one of Jesus' inner circle. One of the twelve, traveling around with him, seeing him first thing in the morning, through the day, into the night, and when he went down at night. Here is one who heard his messages, one who got the inside scoop as Jesus would pull his disciples aside and explain maybe a teaching that he had or a parable and the meaning thereof. Judas was one who had witnessed miracle after miracle after miracle. And now we're to the point where Jesus is about to go to the cross and we see that Judas's decisions is going to supplement that movement but in a not good way. Someone made the comment, it says the saddest thing about betrayal is it never comes from someone you would call an enemy, but rather a friend. It says even a very small degree of betrayal is sufficient to cause the death of trust. The intriguing thing is the context for this account has not gone without notice to Christ. In previous messages, when we were earlier on in this passage, Jesus had alluded to the betrayal of, G of Judas, and we had looked at some cross-references where Jesus had talked about this happening. But that's sort of one of the things about betrayal. We, we don't like to even think about it. We don't like to face it. We don't like to have to handle it. So here we have this passage in John chapter 13. And I want you to note, notice the very opening phrases in verse 21. Jesus had been talking about those that receive him have received the Father. Those that receive you will receive me. And then he goes, and when Jesus had said this, 
he became troubled in spirit. I just want to put a pause there for a moment, saying this idea of betrayal is always full of hurt. Jesus was not untouched by the work of Judas. You could say, well, Jesus knew what had to transpire. He was the Son of God. He knew what it would take to get him to the cross. He says, but sin, sin always is so devastating. Sin is so devastating. Jesus, when he said this, he became troubled in spirit. And he said something now. It testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will be betray me. Now we've seen that phrase, truly, truly, several times already in this chapter. He had mentioned it a couple of times, basically saying, I want you to pay attention to this. Truly, truly, I say this to you. The word truly there is the word amen. Amen. What do we say at the end of a prayer? Amen. So be it. Or pay attention. Or in the Old Testament, we could say in the Psalms, Selah, stop, ponder. Pay attention to this. Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. And I, I've been through this passage with you before. And so if we're, we're stomping on some familiar ground, that's okay. We can review. Jesus began to look at one another and to look at a loss to know which one he was speaking. Did you catch that? Want me to read it again? I'll read it again. It says, disciples began to look at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. Did Jesus know that Judas was going to betray him? The answer is yes, he knew. That's why he could say, I'm troubled in spirit, one of you is going to betray me. Did he know who this was? Yes, he knew it was Judas. So the question I have is why didn't anybody else know? And you go, well, because doesn't show up in scripture. <laughs> I go, no. Think about it. Has somebody ever hurt you? Did anybody around you know that that person hurt you? By how you responded to that person? It's hard to keep those emotions down, isn't it? When we've been hurt, we, we can say, well, the temperature has changed in the room. Something is not quite right like it was. Doesn't, something's not working here the way it was. And Jesus, when he reveals this, his disciples all look around and stare right at Judas. That's what scripture says. It says, they began to look at one another at a loss to know which one he was speaking. Who is this? Who could do this? I don't know. And the point is, title this message, Love and Betrayal. We know that we're going to get the betrayal from Judas. 
but we get the love from Jesus. Because he knew these things and his demeanor had given off no clues to any of the perceptive ones in his group. No one had a clue that Judas was the one to which he was speaking. None of them could catch on. None of them would go, oh yeah, I've seen indications all along right here. We know who this is. No, they're all looking around. And that spelled out even more. Because if you get down to verse 23, it says, and there was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. We know that that's John's catchphrase to describe himself. And we got to understand how this was set up. They were down on a low table reclining. Behind the table and around the table, they were reclining. And they would sort of be overlapped as they would lay down and sort of prop themselves up on an elbow and their legs trailing out behind them. It wasn't a matter of them sitting around the table like what we have over here. And so John, it says, was right there at Jesus' bosom. In other words, here was Jesus laying there and John was laying here and their heads were close to each other And it says, Simon gestured to him and said to him, tell us of who it is who is speaking. In other words, Simon goes, I don't have a clue. Would you find out? So we have Jesus and John, and now I'm supposing, and Peter next to John. And so Peter goes, find out. And, and John turns to Jesus and goes, who are you talking about? And so now we have at least those two disciples very much interested in the outcome of what Jesus said. And they said, who is it? And Jesus answered, that is the one to whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. And you can almost see this conversation, almost like telephone. Here's Peter talking to John. John, find out who it is. Jesus, John turns to Jesus, who is this? Jesus says, the one I dip with. And he turns back and says, the one he dips with. And you go, ah, there it is. The cat's out of the bag. Jesus is now told on who this is going to be. It's going to be Judas as, as their sets of eyes are riveted now on the sop and where is he going to go with it who is he going to give it to and Jesus when he had dipped the morsel he took it and gave it to Judas the son Simon Iscariot and I want to read a little bit further and come back to this for he says, after, after the morsel, Satan entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Verse 28. Now, no one at the, who was reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. 
You go, how can that be? Jesus just told John, who told Peter, watch for who he gives the sop to. Jesus gives the sop to Judas, tells him, what are you going to do? Go do quickly. And, and they're all going, oh, he's giving a job to Judas. And you go, what happened to those focused eyes of, of John? And what are the focused eyes of Peter on Judas? Shouldn't they have him nailed by now? How did this happen? And the answer is, I don't know. Distraction in the room? I don't know. We know that in previous times, Jesus would be in the midst of a cross. They would cross a cross in a crowd, and they would take up stones to throw stones at him, and he would walk out in the midst. And you go, how in the world did he do that when they were all surrounding him, going to stone him to death? I don't know that either. But the bottom line, as recorded here, is they didn't pick up on what was going on. They still hadn't identified Judas. Some were supposing, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things that we have need of for the feast, or else that he should give something to the poor. That is their speculation. Oh, Jesus just gave him a job. He, he had picked a couple desire disciples to go and get the donkey a week a week ago and and he had sent some off to prepare the room here and now Judas he's just like one of the other disciples been given a job for from Jesus to do so after receiving the morsel he went out immediately and it was night This is mind-boggling. What if Jesus had said, Peter, it's Judas. Guess what they were having for dinner that night then? <laughs> Judas would have been flailed right there. All the disciples would have jumped up and said, how can you do this? But even after dipping the sop and giving it to Judas and saying, what you do, do quickly, and he gets up, they're all still thinking, oh, Jesus just gave him a job to do. It can't be Judas. How did they miss it? I don't know. Suppose for a moment we weren't talking about Jesus but they were talking about you and me. Someone betrayed your trust. Someone had violated you, was unfaithful to any commitments they had made to you. And your friends had read that in your countenance. And then you blurted out, it was What would your friends think then? How would they treat that person then? But Jesus 
didn't do that to Judas. Why? Because he loved him. And you go, well, how, Pastor Tim, how can you, how can you say that? Didn't, didn't Judas betray him, this betrayed the trust? How, how can you say? Let me ask you a question. If Judas, now we know this didn't happen, but let's suppose Judas got up to go and do the betrayal. And he got halfway to the Pharisees and he goes, wait a minute, what am I doing? This is all wrong. I can't do that. And turn around and came back and joined the supper. Who would be the wiser? No one. See, Judas betrayed Jesus, but Jesus didn't betray Judas. Left that door open for repentance. Left that door open for reconciliation. I wish I could say that this account in John chapter 13 is the only incident recorded in scripture of betrayal. But we might guess and we would be right if we said no, betrayal is not that uncommon. I'll just give you a couple of examples. One is recorded in the book of Psalms by King David. And he says, even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Psalm 41, 9. And then again in Psalm 55. And if we had time, we'd go through this passage. This one. I'm just going to pull an excerpt out. But listen to these words. Listen to the pain in this psalm. For it is not an enemy who taunts me then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. It is you who betrayed. Job had a similar experience recorded in Job chapter 19. It says, He has put my brothers far from me, and those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed my, me. My close friends have forgotten me. All my intimate friends abhor me, and those whom I love have turned against me. We know the pain that Job went through, and part of that pain was betrayal. So betrayal is not that uncommon an experience. It is so painful, so painful. So how, how should we respond to betrayal? Well, we don't have enough time to cover everything 
But let me, let me share a couple ideas with you. First one, it says your betrayer's actions should not suck you into unrighteous living. In other words, because they are a betrayer, don't you join them in sin. You continue to walk in righteousness. Jesus has given us a reference in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 and 4. Consider him, talking about Jesus, who endured such sinners from such sinners, such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In other words, this is still a battle. You're still in it. Still fight on the side of righteousness and victory. Peter, who certainly knew about betrayal and denying Christ, wrote these words. And I'm just going to read a portion out of 1 Peter chapter 2. Verses 20 through 24, just a, a, a line or two. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus' response could have been, Peter, get him. Or, hey gang, it's Judas. How good are you guys at gang tackling? So the first point is your betrayer's action should not suck you into unrighteous living. You can't use their excuse, well, they were terrible to me, so I will be terrible to them. No. Uh -uh. The second one and the third one go together. Your betrayer answers to God, not you. Your betrayer answers to God, not you. Paul wrote in the book of Romans, he says, blessed are those who persecute you. Keep on blessing them and never curse them. There's that righteous living. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Cry with those who are crying. Live in harmony with each other. Do not be arrogant, but associate with humble people. That whole idea of demeanor of, of righteous, holy living. He says, do not think that you're wiser than you really are. And then he says, do not pay back evil for evil, but focus your thoughts on what is right in the sight of all people. If possible, so as depend on you, live in peace with all people, and do not take revenge, dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will pay them back, declares the do we have the confidence in our God 
that he is paying attention to the problems that we're facing and that he is the one who is in charge of the scales of justice? Are we convinced that that's true and that we can leave it in his hands? And we don't have to be God's avenging, avenging angel. We're not the ones who have to right the wrong, but we can leave it in God's hands. Your betrayer answers to God and not you. And this third point is associated with that second point but I want to be careful in walking on, on this path. Your betrayer should be forgiven in love. What I mean by that is released from payment to you. Now, oftentimes, at this point, you go, wait a minute. After what they did, I'm supposed to forgive them? Really? No way, no how? Uh-uh, not going to happen. I may walk away from them, but I'm going to harbor in me an understanding of who that person is, and, and they're going to be on my no-friends list now. <laughs> Pastor Timmy, you're way out of bounds if you think that someone who just betrayed me, I should forgive them. Let's talk about forgiveness for a moment. I'm not saying they ought not to pay for what they have done. But who do they answer to? Point two. They don't answer to me. They answer to God. So why do I forgive? We're not saying that a person ought to escape the consequences of their actions. What we're saying is we need to let it go. We need to let it go. In fact, the word for forgive here is literally to send away or to let go. So when we talk, when we practice forgiveness, we are not saying, oh, yeah, you, it was okay for you to hurt me. It was all right. It was no harm, no foul. No, we're not saying that at all. What we're saying is, I'm not going to hold on to this. I'm not going to harbor this next to my breath. I'm not going to carry this burden. It's not something I want to carry. I'm going to let it. That's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount could say in Matthew chapter 5, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. <laughs> that sounds about right. That sounds good. I can go with that. Jesus said, no. I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. He says, for he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain to the just and the unjust, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? You grease their palms with some money, they'll be happy to know you. 
And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you to do than others? Even the Gentiles do this. Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What is he saying? They say, Heavenly Father, you know how badly I've been hurt. You know what this betrayal has done. Your son, as I lift up this prayer to you, your son went through this. Then the scriptures say that your son was troubled in spirit. Well, that's where I am. So what is his forgiveness? This is not avoiding consequences of their choices, which may mean estrangement for me. I don't want to go and get hurt again. But I'm going to let this go. Why? Because I need it. Forgiveness, here's a quote, forgiveness doesn't excuse their behavior. Forgiveness prevents their behavior from destroying your heart. In other words, you let it go so that you don't harbor it. Writer of Hebrews talks about being defiled by bitterness. Bitterness comes when you hold on to a hurt and then it just eats you from the inside out. So you're saying, I, I don't want that in my life. I'm going to let that go. Did it hurt, hurt? Yes. But I'm going to let that go. I love Ephesians chapter 4. Some years back in Sunday school, we covered that. <laughs> anyway, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed until the day of redemption. But he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you along with all malice. Well, what is he talking about? All those things are a reaction to hurt. You don't get bitter and you're not wrathful and anger, full of angry, angry feelings and clamor. And you don't speak evil of others just for the fun of it. It's because, because somebody has tweaked you. And if we're talking about betrayal, that's a severe tweak. He says instead... Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, have forgiven you. We say that when Jesus talks about forgiveness, he talks about the idea of casting our sins as far as the east is from the west, or down into the depths of the deepest sea. It isn't a matter that they're forgotten in the sense of don't know that they happened, but we're just not going to call them up and use them against that person again. 
we can use the example of Jesus coming back to our passage here. Was Jesus hurt? Yes. Scripture tells us he was troubled by what Judas was about to do. But he didn't betray Judas. Didn't stop Judas from what he was doing. He could have, but didn't. How many want to be betrayed? Maybe you don't have to raise your hand. I already know the answer. Say no. How many don't want to betray somebody else? So when betrayal comes our way, how do we respond? Is that going to knock us off our walk with the Lord? Is that going to short circuit us in our spiritual life? And that we become more like the one who has hurt us than the God who has called us? Are we willing to let this hurt go and forgive the person and leave it in God's hands? Say, God, you're the one who works in the area, in the arena of justice. I'll leave it with you. I imagine even as I give this message today, this is generated questions because even in the short time of talking about betrayal other situations and ever and other um, occasions may have come to mind and you sit back and you evaluate have I done what scripture has called me to do question is legitimate because we don't go through a passage like this just to say oh yeah there was a story some 2,000 years ago about a man who betrayed the son of God and we've covered that now so let's move on because this is talking about the life that we live and the situations we find ourselves in and how do we respond Let me pray with you. Our Heavenly Father, I was thinking, we who have sung songs like, All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give, have moments later turned our back on you. We have professed at times to be a faithful follower and then someone has watched us do those things in life that speak just the opposite. It's hard to condemn Judas 
although this was a conscious choice on his part, it's hard to condemn him without looking at ourselves and saying, how many times have we been the Peter and denied him? How many times we've been the Judas and said, I don't have anything to do with him? Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you're a God who forgives. And we come and fall on your mercy and grace and ask for that forgiveness. And by your strength and power and might, we ask that we would walk humbly with our God and not be a Judas. We ask in Jesus' name.